Hello, welcome to All Things Intriguing. I'm your host, Dr. Ray Newkirk. Welcome to my podcast. It will be far-ranging, challenging, surprising, insightful, informative, and even interesting. It's brought to you by Systems Management Institute in Orlando, Florida. Check us out at smirsp.com. We're glad you did. So, Applied Moral Wisdom, Episode 5. We're up to Episode 5 already. We're halfway through it when we're done with this. Finding consistency and thought and action. Isn't that really a nice idea to be consistent in what you think and what you do? Since consistency of thought and action and applied moral wisdom is a good thing, right? We want to be consistent, especially with morality and how we apply moral wisdom. Why are so many people inconsistent? Seems that way, doesn't it? But they are not. Surprise, surprise, surprise. A great number of people are consistent in thought and action. Unfortunately, they consistently make the poor decision to do the wrong things, the wrong actions. That's what happens. They are consistent about wrongness. Because it's easier, right? But it complicates life. So we're in episode five, finding consistency in thought and action. The first question of a life is the last question answered. Do you know that? What kind of person do I want to be? That's the first question of life. What kind of person do I want to be? And we often don't figure that out until just before we kick the bucket. That's too bad, isn't it? So consistency and moral wisdom. Life is like a box of what? Syllogisms, not chocolates. Without them, you will never know what kind of relationships you will form. Consistency in thought and action is essential to applying moral wisdom consistently. For example, if A equal B and B equal C, then A equals C. Simple stuff, right? Everyone knows this. Really? <laughs> Not these days. Just talk to people today. <laughs> Their logic is illogical, as Spock would say. This syllogism is only true if A actually equal A and B equal B and C equal C. In other words, if an actual correspondence exists, if an actual correspondence exists, better slow down, huh? In which the statement A is is connected to the reality that A equal A is indeed true. Because there are people today that will tell you that cold is not cold and wet is not wet, right? Today, reality is not clear as people assert new neo-syllogisms that expand the nature and reality of a lived experience. Thus, we now see syllogisms such as A can be A and not A at the same time. Hence, a new morality emerges in which reality is only an epiphenomenon of itself. Now, by assertion rather than logical discourse, reality is not what reality is. It is up to the daily observer to determine, based on so many things up to the observer, what reality really is. So, A might not be A, right? So, in an emergent world in which we really, well, it's, our world is pretty emergent, right? New things are coming out all the time. In this world, people can change their essential natures by assertion rather than connection to the reality of what is, as it really is. 
Moral wisdom becomes more essential to the ordering of the human experience. And that applied moral wisdom can assist us with identifying the ethical challenges and cultural expectations we face in building workplace relationships, ethical rules that friends and strangers follow to assist them with making better decisions, and probable consequences of executing the different ethical strategies that people adopt during special situations or circumstances. And when you want to think about it, you know, people just assert things now and say that's the way it is. That's no truth exists. We've talked about that, I think, in episode one or two. So there has to be consistency in moral wisdom to live a human life. The application of moral wisdom assists a person with navigating through an environment that considers the problem of good versus bad action. This environment consists of ethical principles, values, and concepts that inform ethical decision-making, friends. The ethical principles consist of autonomy, beneficence, non-malfeasance, and justice. We talked about three of those already. The ethical values consist of paternalism, confidentiality, and informed consent. The cardinal virtues consist of fidelity, prudence, justice, and self-care. Self-care is really important, don't you think? But nobody ever mentions that as a virtue. So as we navigate the environment of ethics, morals, and virtue, we discover the principles, values, and concepts that inform our application of moral wisdom. We have to be thinking people, thinking beings that grow in depth of our understanding. Here we remain vigilant by ensuring that our decision-making addresses the situation we are attempting to resolve without conflict. Applied moral wisdom addresses the challenge of putting the right ethical principles, values, and concepts into action. Applied moral wisdom applies the rules that people can follow to make right moral decisions. It guides us when answering the question, how should human beings behave? Applied moral wisdom appeals to descriptive ethics, to consider what the decision should have been as compared to the actual decision. You know, think about this. People talk about intuitive behavior. I talk about applied intuitive solutions. You know what intuitive behavior is? Intuitive ideas? Those are things that you learn so well you don't even know you know them. And they just come to the surface right away intuitively, right? You know, we're not dogs and cats and bats and kangaroos. We don't really live by intuition. We form it. Educating the mind without educating the heart is no education at all. That's what we're talking about here with applied moral wisdom. If you apply it, all your efforts to educate in the mind, but you forget about the heart. Well, it's no education at all. It's just memorization, right? By the way, this fellow that said that is worth reading. His name was Aristotle. And you don't have to read it in ancient Greek. It's been translated, you know, many times. He's really a popular philosopher that changed Western civilization. People will love you. People will hate you. And none of it will have anything to do with you. Abram Hicks said that. Think about it. You meet people and you walk away saying, gosh, did I do something wrong? All right. Wow. Is just existing my problem? What did I ever do to that person? It has nothing to do with you. 
nothing to do with you. People will love you or people will hate you because you're there. And they're there and they have their own issues. Moral wisdom positively impacts the world by, by guiding the thoughts and actions of human beings in several ways. For an example, let me think. Positively influencing the interpersonal impact human beings have on one another, right? Professionally and socially. I think it impacts us that way. What about influencing human beings to do more good than bad throughout their lifetimes? Mm. I think that's really nice. I think that's a good thing to do. Hard for some people, right? They have a whole litany of bad things they do and they laugh about it. These people are pretty messed up. Informing human beings to implement innovations that make the world a better place for everyone now and in the future, not just a few. This is things moral wisdom can do for us. Moral wisdom is a lot about making morally wise choices or decisions. We talk about that all the time. These, these will assist in forming and nurturing positive relationships. This requires a person to reflect on the territory of moral reasoning. You know that? You ever think about the territory of moral reasoning? What is moral reasoning? What does it cover? What about ethics? First to the rules of external reality, such as religion, family, government, education, and so forth. Morals and morality. Morals reflect the person's internalized principles of right and wrong. Morality reflects how people live with their morals by making ethical choices. See, there's a system to this. Ethical behavior, what on earth is that? It refers to a pattern of decision making. Ethical behavior is about decision making that reflects the principles of right behavior expected by society. Boy, isn't this a mess today? So, know thyself, friend. Socrates was right. The desire for human relationship, the longing for relational affirmation, orders one's entire life, for good or bad. We chase the positive person who wants to affirm who we are in some way or another. Begins in the womb and never ends, perhaps even beyond the end of life. I will quote that again. Some really neat guy wrote this, guy I'm very close to. The desire of human relationship, the longing for relational affirmation, orders one's entire life for good or bad. Begins in the womb and never ends perhaps even beyond the end of life itself. You know who said that? One of my favorite people. Yes, Dr. Raymond L. Newkirk. Thought long and hard about that. So I observed from the time I was born to the life I'm living now. We are driven by existential hunger, right? Personal potency requires moral wisdom. You want to be a personally potent person? All right. Personally, right? requires moral wisdom, friends. One's life can be defined by the connections it enjoys throughout life. Moral connections make life more meaningful. Boy, there's so many people out there that can fool you. There's so many people that know how to say what you want to hear. There's so many people that know how to do the dance. But you, you have to be wise. 
You don't trust anyone. You develop comp what confidence in their behavior based on the performance that you observe and experience. Confidence is better than trust. Forever forward, right? Influence the future for the good. That's what you should do. Anybody says, Ray, what should I do? I say, well, I don't give advice, but I work hard to influence the future for the good. And just think about this. Every single day, your future gets shorter, so don't waste it. A moral life is less complicated and makes the future more ordered and far less lonely. People gravitate to the people who are kind and polite and nice and loving. A lot of people flee, flee from the others unless you're just like them. Then you try and do one-upmanship with them. You know what the moral imperative is through all of this stuff? Everything I've been talking about, it's remain free. That's it. Remain free. A moral life is more comfortable to the moral person because it is a simple life. It has less to hide. It had less to say I'm sorry for. Insight 21. We've already had 20 insights. Some people know what's so wrong, they lose track of what's right. You ever meet people like that? Kind of judgmental, hypocritical. They're always on what's wrong, what's wrong. There are people who use truth as a weapon. Not everyone cares about moral wisdom, you know. A number of people simply do not care about right and wrong or good and bad. The idea of right action is repugnant to them. They adhere to manipulation, dishonesty, meanness as badges of honor. These are the people who see ethics, morals, and respect as the folly of idiots. You probably know some of these people. <laughs> I've met them. They're not hard to figure out. Very excited. They have no gratitude about anything, a lot of those people, not all of them. Insight 22, moral wisdom requires a special kind of ethical decision-making. I talk about that a lot, decision-making and moral wisdom. Human life goes in the direction of its decisions. You want to know how your life is going to turn out? Look at the decisions you're making. You're going in that direction. When moral people make moral decisions, morality is the result. When moral decisions are the result of habit, we call them virtues, right? To challenge the moral decision-making is the need to overcome the many ways poor decisions are made or no decisions ever occur. People may decide something guided by irritation or perhaps without having the relevant information available and the decisions will be bad. You know, are they're lucky? They're not. The odds of unethical decision-making exceed those for ethical decision-making. Did you know that? If you're going to bet, is somebody going to make an ethical decision or not an ethical decision? What would win? Most often, the unethical decision-making will win. Moral decisions do happen, but rarely, especially today. This is like ancient times all over again, right? Impediments to decision-making about ethics the morality pop up everywhere. They come from many sources, from oneself even, from friends, from colleagues, from those who oppose you in competition, especially from those who do not like you. This is one reason why virtues are so crucial to one's moral development. 
They are good habits. Do you know how to tell when you're living a good life? When certain people don't like you? Somebody walked up to me one time. I was like 22 years old, and they said to me, so-and-so doesn't like you. And I said, thank you very much. I knew I was doing something right because I knew that person really well. And if they liked me, I would have worried about it. If you're living a good life, not everybody will like you, and that's okay. They shouldn't, and you should be happy with that. It's not a compliment when a bad person doesn't like you. You know, a person that likes to manipulate others get upset with those people they can't manipulate. They won't like them. People who lie a lot will get upset with people who can see through their lies. You know? The best way to make a judgment about other people is just not to have anything to do with them and keep it to yourself. You know? Children can be mean. Did you know that? They see everything in black and white. They can really be mean. Children can be very mean. They can be great kids, loving kids, but there are times they can be really mean. So too, adults behave like children. They can get really mean. I've seen it. The age of innocence, folks, is not only for children. Children learn many things from experience. For example, they learn how to make false assumptions, nor to make important decisions while in a poor frame of mind. Early in life, they learn that attitude and information matters when faced with important decisions. Children can learn that. What to get for Christmas? I got to make a decision here. I can't have everything in the world. I only want half of what's available. They learn that the folly of identifying false problems leads to false outcomes. Children can figure that out. They're very good at knowing what they want and how to make decisions about the things that they want. Think about your life. I remember a time in my life where I knew what I wanted. Christmas was coming. I was a youngster. and I looked for the gifts. saw where my mother was hiding them. And I looked in the package. And wow, it wasn't what I wanted. So you know what I did? I went and told her she's not getting what I wanted. I let her know I was snooping around, which I shouldn't have been doing, right? But my goodness gracious, I wanted something else. And I wasn't getting it. I was going to advise her of that. You know, I was going to be Santa's helper, right? So I kind of got in a little bit of trouble for snooping around, right? For going into the closets I'm not supposed to be going into. Wow. I think I was in the second grade or third grade then. It was, in a, it was the month of December, all right? But uh, that's what I'm talking about. I made a bad decision. I knew it. If I got caught, I was going to have a false outcome. It wasn't the outcome I wanted, you know. But I did get the gift I wanted. Isn't that amazing? But I had to pay the price up front. But the big thing in my family is you're restricted to your room until you can behave properly. No TV for you. Take your comic books out the room. You're not going to read your comic books. You're going to sit there and meditate 
on your dishonesty. Insight 25. The question is to be or not to be a moral person. See, Shakespeare never finished that, right? To be or not to be, that is the question. The question is to be or not to be a moral person. The answer matters. You ever wonder where ethical principles come from? This is bad English, right? From, preposition. Don't finish the sentence in a preposition. Well, it's bad English, but a good question, isn't it? Ethical principles emerged over human history from several sources. You know what they are? Religion? Sure, that's first up there, right? Everybody names religion first. And regulation. And opinion. And custom. And habit. And guessing. And complaining. All contributed to the development of ethical systems. People had to learn to live together. They had to learn to be civilized. They had to learn to love, to be loving, to care about others so people would care about them. People can lift us up or knock us down, right? This is not surprising. We all know that. Unfortunately, it can be the same person who praises us one day and condemns us the next. This is disappointing. I'm quoting Dr. Ray Newkirk again. That's me. I think it's worth sharing that, don't you think? Because it's true. We've noticed that in our life. People are fickle. So why is moral wisdom so essential to relationships? What do you think? Moral wisdom emerged out of necessity to guide and mandate the conduct of safe human relationships and form a civil culture. Do you know that? Imagine a society that lacks moral wisdom. I'll say that again. Let's see if I got it right, if I can remember it. This is a memory quiz. Moral wisdom emerged out of necessity to guide and mandate the conduct of safe human relationships and form a civil culture. Imagine a society that lacks moral wisdom. Hmm. I remembered it. Why is moral wisdom the repository of virtue? Virtue signifies habitual right action. Habitual right action. It's, you don't even have to think about it. It's virtue, remember? It promotes good versus bad relationships. This is the territory of moral wisdom. Virtue is a deep personal knowledge that an action is good beyond personal argument. Isn't that something? You don't have to debate it. You don't have to argue it. It's a good action. It's a right action. It's self-obvious to everybody. There are people who have really bad habits we call vices, and they appreciate good habits, but they will never, ever develop them themselves. From a distance, they look at it. I remember a guy telling me one time, he really admires such and such a religion. He thinks it's the best one out there. It's just absolutely great, but he will never be one. A lot of people like that. If I was going to ever believe in religion, it would be that one, he would tell me. Right? Ritual signifies habitual right action. 
that promotes good versus bad relationships. And the virtue ones, the virtuous habits are beyond personal argument. Nobody's going to tell you they're not good. Being just, who's going to tell you being justice, being just is not good? Hmm? Re reflect on those who oppose moral wisdom. You know, in science, we do a lot of experiments to disprove things because we'll learn if we can a lot from that. If we can disprove things, if we can't disprove it, we've kind of like proved it, haven't we? All you need is one exception. Here's all trees are 3,000 feet tall. Because I saw a tree one day that was 3,000 feet tall. And now I say that. All I got to do is find one tree that isn't. And that's, you know, I, I prove it. I've learned something. I learned that's not true. You get the idea. It's a dumb example. So why is moral wisdom essential to relationships? No. Why is moral wisdom the repository of virtue? Reflect on those who oppose moral wisdom. Reflect on the territory of moral wisdom and compare it with the territory of those who oppose the application of moral wisdom in relationships. Which one do you prefer? If you're going to be in a relationship with somebody, wouldn't you want them to be morally wise and to apply that? Versus somebody who doesn't care about any of that. Some people forget that people are more important than ideas. Now, this is the most important idea of all. Years ago, there was a movie in the late 70s. Tom Cruise, George C. Scott. And it was about a military academy. And these were cadets in the military academy, kind of like a high school military academy. And they were teaching all kinds of military stuff and about this and about that. And so Tom Cruise was a leader of a group and they got together and they had a revolution inside the military academy and tried to take it over. And they had to call out some National Guards people because they were shooting people and all kinds of stuff because they didn't like the fact that the rules were being violated. So they decided to punish some people. Now, I'm shorting this, you know, I'm just getting right to the point. And so at the end of this, when all everything happened, the guy was talking about the principles he was defining. And the commandant, George C. Scott, made this statement. You forgot the most important principle of all. that people are more important than ideas. That's the most important idea at all. People are the most important thing. You know? To forget how unique human beings are diminishes the forget self. Diminishes oneself. To forget how unique human beings are diminishes oneself because you're a human being. You know, what's the preacher say? Amen, 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 I say to you, or whatever. Really, this is worth noting. You want to diminish yourself? Diminish the value of human beings. You're doing a job. No matter what you believe or what you do, the most important idea of all is that 
people are more important than ideas. Politicians forget that. Preachers forget that. A lot of people forget that. So what does it mean to be a human being? How many times have you heard someone say, I am only human? Isn't that strange? The statement only? Do you know what it means to be a human being? The things that you can do? The stuff you can learn? The lives you can save? The diseases you can cure? The books you can write? The children you can take care of? The love you can share? The forgiveness you can grant? Wow. To be a human being is unbelievably infinite in possibilities. It's cosmologically unique. There's no only. Let's see, in Scripture, there's a passage. Be perfect like my Father in heaven is perfect. What does that mean? Wow. Well, whatever it means, that's a big deal. Just something. So when I hear this, I when people say to me, I'm only human. Like, hey, give me a break. I'm just screwing up all the time. And it's okay. I'm only human because I can't do any better than that. I am human. And that means something big. Don't let anybody take that away from you. Remember, people are more important than ideas. I'm only human. I'm only, only, only. How bad they must think of themselves. It's really full of excuses, huh? Human beings are sequential beings. You know what that means? Human beings are really cosmologically unique beings. They cannot always do better. Sometimes they get it right the first time. Sometimes. You know what it means to be a sequential being? It means you lived in time. You have a past, a present, and a future. We're always going towards the future, racing towards the future. We only know the past. When I tell you something like you're more than only a human being, it's already in the past, isn't it? That's how quick the past comes. That's how quick we run into the future. How we say a sentence and the meaning it has depends on the sequence of those words in the sentence, right? For us to understand them. For example, what does it mean to be a human being? Those words in that sequence conveys knowledge through a question. Let me change the sequence, okay? What a being human be to mean it does. Makes no sense. The sequence doesn't work. Our life has to be ordered life to be lived fully human. If that made sense to you in the disordered form, I have a good doctor I'd like to introduce you to. We are cosmologically unique. And when I say what it means to be a human being, that's a general statement that many people will assimilate a little bit differently. Because every person will think about the range of possibilities a little bit differently. The point here is our actions, thoughts, and words occur sequentially. Every action precedes and follows every action. Every thought precedes and follows every thought. 
Every word precedes and follows every word. That is why moral wisdom matters. It brings order out of disorder by clarifying actions, thoughts, and words in the proper order. Thou shalt not, right? Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Thou can, thou can. Let's do this, let's do that. Let's don't do this. The order makes a difference. Is an act just? Is a thought good? Is a word beneficial? It is not sequence now that answers these questions. It is moral wisdom that points the way. Ray Newkirk said that. Is an act just? Is a thought good? Is a word beneficial? It is not the sequence that answers these questions. It is moral wisdom that points the way. Think about that. What I'm saying is, do we value human beings because of results, because of what they do? Some people do bigger and better things than other people. Does this make them more valuable? Hmm? Do we value human beings because of beliefs? Some people hold values and beliefs that raise the dignity of all human beings. Does this make them more valuable? Do we value human beings because of duty? Some people hold the values they hold simply because they see it as their duty to other human beings to do the things they do. Does this make them more valuable? Good questions, aren't they? Wow. The value that a human being has is proportional to the value that you think you have for yourself. Think about that. The more you value yourself, the more you have to value others. The less you value yourself, the less you're going to value others. Because your relationship with them will be devalued. You might raise them up in your mind and humble yourself, but you're not really humbling yourself. That's a different problem. We have rights because we recognize that others have rights. We cannot take away the rights for others and grant them to ourselves. Think about that. A fact. Here's a fact of life. Autonomy adds a part to relationships that other people cannot. Intimate self-knowledge. Bingo, right? Autonomy. Yourself. Being autonomous. Adds a part to relationships that other people cannot. You add a part to your relationships other people cannot. That's intimate self-knowledge. You bring the knowledge of yourself that's so intimate to a relationship and nobody else can bring that part, that knowledge of yourself, but you. Mm -hmm. A person is unique because only that person possesses his or, her, his or her own life experiences that set that person apart from other human beings. Think about it. A person is as a person does, is on point, but not as often understood by other people because human life is lived primarily in the human mind. Who has the access to a person's mind more deeply than that person? Autonomy brings apart the relationship. Your own uniqueness changes the relationship just like their uniqueness changes it. Intimate self-knowledge is valuable, folks. Nazi Siatan. Socrates was right. Know thyself. 
Wow, guess what? Our time is up on episode five. Thank you for joining me on this discussion about applied moral wisdom. I'll be back with episode six probably next week. I am Dr. Ray Newkirk. This is presented by Systems Management Institute. Our number is 407-864-7756. Our email, my email is rnewkirk at smilc.info. Web page is www.smirsp.com. And remember this, folks, forever forward. Keep going forward. Don't go backwards. Don't live in the past. Okay, thank you for listening. We will continue with this discussion in episode six. Episode six. Sometimes I talk too fast. I don't know speak very explain. Have you ever noticed that? All right. Uh, so many languages out there, right? So, good night, folks. Best to you. Good night.